0: This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. If you're listening to this episode the morning it comes out, May 12th, I would highly encourage you to join us for the Make Resilient Disciples online experience at 2 p.m. Eastern today. The Make Resilient Disciples online experience is designed for church leaders who are passionate about shaping the conversation about resilient child discipleship. It's hosted by Mark Matlock and it includes the voices of Valerie Bell, Matt Markins, Ed Stetzer, Dr. Denise Kesbo, Jim Weidman, and more. You'll hear from the great speakers that I just mentioned, but ultimately it's gonna be an opportunity for us to come together as a Kidmin community. And it'll be really nice to see all of you there. If you're listening to this and that event has passed, check out the show notes for more information on how you can experience that conversation. Today, I want to share a conversation I had with Jim Weidman. I'll simply introduce him as a pioneer in children's ministry and someone whose entire life has been devoted to resilient discipleship. He's been a friend of Awana for a long time. He's a prolific author and speaker, and you can learn more about him in the show notes we start this episode with Jim sharing how he got started in children's ministry, but we cover a ton of ground. So everything from revival in the church to football. So I hope you enjoy hearing from Jim as much as I did. Here is episode 33 of the Resilient Disciples Podcast.
1: Well, when I came into children's ministry in the 70s, it was really before children's ministry was cool. Uh, you know, I had uh, gotten saved in the Jesus movement. If you ever did drugs, uh, after you, uh, you know, when you came into church, they just stuck you in the youth group. And, uh, so I was leading worship in the youth group. And, uh, one day the lady over children's church, uh, or children that was teaching the children didn't show up. And my pastor grabbed me and told me to, uh, grab my Bible, grab my guitar and go to children's ministry and don't come out. And that was 45 years ago and um so um and you're still there that's incredible (laughs) yeah i'm still there it's kind of crazy but a different church but still there yeah and uh when you know when my pastor you know uh that day i didn't know what i was doing and uh, it was the longest month i'd ever spent an hour and a half and i understand that pressure of sunday and um you know, I sang Father Abraham a few million times, told every Bible story I knew and looked at my watch and we were 15 minutes in and, uh, uh, it was a long day. And so I remember, uh, going to my pastor. I didn't even want it to wait. Uh, I went right after service and I just said, how long am I going to have to do this? And he said, until God raises up somebody with a vision. And so I, you know, I was at Bible college and i you know, started praying and said, Lord, raise up somebody with vision. And after teaching those kids and uh, praying that prayer over the next three or four weeks, I realized I was just somebody he had given the vision to. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think one of our greatest um, problems as a children's pastor or uh, tendency is to just, when you don't know what to do, look what others are doing and just follow that. And when you ask God for a vision, a vision is just a snapshot of how this is going to end up. And I think that nowhere were we told to um, make converts. We were told to make disciples. Uh, and I think that somewhere we just looked at children's ministry from a pro. Uh, a programmatic eyes or, or just through the program. Uh, we've looked at things by counting nickels and noses. Um, we've looked at um, all kind of things, but yet we haven't really kept score saying, are we making disciples? I think for so long, we have not worked as hard on um evaluating and measuring with the right ruler as we have just trying to fill up an hour and 30 minutes. Mm. And um, I think that uh, for me, when the book came out, especially, and I started reading the book, this is what I've been crying out for years, which is if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And what is, what are we aiming at? And that's long-term, Followers and disciples of the Lord, not just who, how many did we have at BBS or how many we have at this event on a weekly basis. I love being able to learn the word, but I'm more interested in kids living the word. Amen. And uh, are we training kids for a lifetime of service, not just? This Sunday's lesson, and if we get through that, nobody's hurt bad, uh, then it's a win. And so I think that that long-range perspective, you know, during this pandemic, one of the things that I've realized uh, the big win was all of a sudden, you know, the elephant in the room in children's ministry has always been uh, how can we partner with parents and get part uh, get our partner parents. Um, to uh, take responsibility on their end because they do have more time with their kids in the church. Right. And um, you know, if you look at the hours church has roughly about 40, 50 hours top a year uh, with kids, Uh, you look at school, it's over a thousand. You look at parents, it's um, uh, you know, almost 3,000 hours. And so they don't have to spend all their time, uh, but they need to spend some. And that's what Deuteronomy 6, uh, you know, when you look at it, it highlights, uh, tells parents, you have to be the example and press it on your children. So that means it's something you meant to do. It's intentional, something deliberate so it can leave a mark. And then it says what time the use and it's morning night when you go somewhere and when you're at the house and here in this season, we've had a lot of time in the house <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I never thought morning being night. in the yeah. car. Yeah. I never thought being in the car would be an event. Uh, you know, I've spent my life planning events, but, uh, mm. just driving, you know, the other day I drove around in circles and enjoyed it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that was just in the, my wife saw uh, her neighbor yesterday and was like, I saw Jim. It was crazy. Yeah. 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 It's like, yeah. yeah, but, yeah. I think why this is so important is because, you know, when all the, the research started coming out that what we've been doing these last 50 years has not kept people in their faith. Um, and that the church and the people that had the benefit of children's ministry, a very low percentage was still serving the Lord and in church and walking out uh, what being a disciple is all about. So, um, you know, we all know that if if you do the same stuff and want a different um, outcome, um, you know, that's insanity. Right, And so what we've got to do, if we want a different action, we've got to do different things. And that's why I think this move to make discipleship uh, and those conversations with kids. And I also know that, you know, educators have been telling this for years, Ross, but, you know, everybody that gets help at home with their studies uh, and schoolwork has an advantage over those that don't. And so if it's true with math and science, it's also true with biblical things. And that parent involvement, which was God's plan all along, uh, was uh, for a godly man to marry a godly woman and stay godly and raise godly kids and repeat the process. And that's what Deuteronomy 6 is all about. And then you go to Deuteronomy 4, verse nine. And that's the first time that grandparents are mentioned in the Bible. And the first time we see the phrase, your children's children. And it says that the whole goal of grandparenting is to pass on faith yeah, and uh, pass on that God story. And so, um, we've done a real bad job of doing what every, uh, feast day and, uh, israeli feast and festival says to do and that is to remember what god did and teach it to your children and we're helping them remember the bible but we're not helping them remember the god events and our individual god stories Mm. and how that can be passed on from generation to generation
0: amen and i think so that's you touched on it earlier but i want to you know, kind of zoom in a little bit to this moment that we're in, because this is kind of what I wanted to bring the conversation to both in this moment and outside of it, because I think not only is the church making this hopefully long sustaining move to partner yeah. more effectively with the person who's always been our partner, the local parent, yeah. um, but also that parent right now is also the homeschool teacher, is also the gym instructor, is also the coach, and is having to do everything because of the confinements of this pandemic and i think what i view if nothing else my basic privilege associated with this podcast is being able to talk to people like you who have walked the walk because i think that insight is super helpful in moments like this because you you know you are someone who is carrying on this conversation about the need for resilient disciples globally but you have done you have faithfully walked with the lord to try to live it out in your in your own family so you are someone who i hope who i think people can really un trust when you speak to the the need for, to bridge that gap between the practitioner and the parent, because you've had to bridge that gap on both sides. You talked about how the sort of the first instruction of grandparents typically is to just tell stories of faith and how that, how does that raise resilient discipleship? What is, what is your role right now um, with your adult children and your grandkids uh, for your grandkids resilient discipleship? How do you define that?
1: Yeah. um, You know, I think that every parent and grandparent has to come saying, what is the main thing that I want for my children? Do we want our children to have better education, make more money, be more uh, uh, successful, uh, whatever that looks like in our definitions, or do we want them just to love Jesus with all their heart? and raise godly kids. And I think that what is happening in this time, we're coming to the main thing. And, uh, Ross, you said it. Uh, Parents are school teachers. They're coaches. They're all these different things right now. And I'm hearing from a lot of parents, well, we're just getting weary in this season. Well, you know, when my arms are full of stuff and I can't carry it all, I start letting certain things drop. And you have to decide uh, what can be dropped and what's the most important. And um, raising disciples and cultivating a love for God is more important than sports or school or anything else. And, uh, you know, uh, why do we want better for our children in every area except one? And that's spiritual things. And in that area, we'll settle for just as spiritual as mom or dad are just not bad. But we don't measure everything else. We want, you know, if you have a master's, you want them to get a doctor. Uh, if, if, you, if you drive a Toyota, you want them to have a Lexus. And we want our kids to have better in every, you know, if, if you played college ball, you want your kids in the, in the, in the NFL. Right. Uh, and and so, you know, we want better, but we settle. Yeah. And I think that in this pandemic, uh, it's okay to let things drop, but don't let the wrong things drop. And I think one of the things that has helped me is looking at this children's ministry thing globally is um, – We've just now been forced to go from being creative, which is using someone else's material the best we can, uh, to being innovative mm. and asking the question: um, you know, what does not exist? What does not exist that needs to exist? And uh, you know, in the early days of children's ministry, we had <laughs> we had to be innovative. Because if you had a budget, you couldn't spend it on anything, uh, because there was nothing to buy, and (laughs) and so uh, we you know we had to create things and make things, Um, you know it's it's kind of crazy to look back on it now when you know uh, there was a whole limited world before Google that you just had to create things and be innovative, and so we're being forced. Uh, as a church to partner with parents well, to encourage parents, not just to do what we need them to do, but to help them understand the why involved. Why is this so important? And I think, you know, everybody's talking about how can I do a virtual VBS now with thinking about summer? Um, uh, Why? Uh, What, you know, maybe you just need to do uh, individual small group Zoom sessions to talk about certain things and point kids toward a certain way, or um, uh, you know. Uh, and I think that there's going to be certain people in this pandemic that just hit reset and going back to doing stuff that wasn't giving them the results they wanted. And a great question, and this is where I hope people will read the book join the conversations, listen to these podcasts, because as we come up with a new normal, what do we need to just not do as well as what do we need to do better? Amen. And, and I think that's, that's kind of, you know, for me, uh, you know, the fact that uh, I've had the privilege of ministering to thousands of kids and I'm thankful uh, the other day, I wished a guy uh, a happy 45th birthday that, uh, uh, you know, I've basically known him his whole life. I remember oh, wow. when he was born and he was in my church. And, and I'm now because of Facebook, I'm still uh, keeping up with him. And, um, you know, I look at these kids and, um, you know, do they get their identity? Over who they are in Christ, or is it just because they're an engineer or a lawyer or uh, a baker or a candlestick maker uh, yeah. and and so somewhere uh that helping people see that 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 maybe the goal we were aiming at was not the right goal to start with, yeah, and that that making disciples who are now raising godly kids and putting a hunger in their kids. Uh, You know, my grandkids right now, you know, my role is uh, not upper management as grandparents, uh, but I'm a big cheerleader. And um, I tell them all the time, um, you know, uh, what great parents they have. I reinforce the parents Um, you know, one of the problems with grandparents is we've said my house, my rules, uh, I'm going to disobey the rules of the parents and I'm just going to do whatever I want to. And when I'm tired, I'll send them home. Uh, well, that is horrible because who (laughs) wants their grandkids to, to be confused over what the rules are. Sure. So my wife and I, um, had to say, okay, y'all set the rules and tell us what they are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had different rules because it was a different time and we were raising different kids. And if I think I can raise my grandkids uh, uh, for a world that doesn't exist and them turn out right, I'm kidding myself. Uh, and the things my grandkids will do for a living, those jobs haven't even been creative yet. Yeah. So how do I put, how do I prepare them for that? Number one, to love God with all their heart, to be a resilient disciple, to love the Word and the wisdom of the Word, because if I want them to be entrepreneurs, then they need to know Proverbs, and they need to understand it and walk it out, and they need to understand that the voice of wisdom and the voice of God are the same, and so I want to teach them that we serve a limitless God and here's what he did for us. When Yancy, you know, when you have your first grandchild, everybody's staying right there. And anytime somebody walks in the room, you know, you just freak out. Nobody was leaving till the baby was born. And then we all ran into the baby. But the day after, uh, you know, folks are ready to go to restaurants, especially the people out of town. They're ready to see Nashville and uh, go do tourist things. Um, and I just kept my mouth shut and sat there. And sure enough, everybody left but me. And Yancey, of course, she wasn't discharged. And uh, uh, she looked at me and she said, Dad, can I take a shower? And you babysit uh, your grandson. And I thought, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and so, uh, so I, I, you know, I told her, take a few hours. Uh, nice. You know, we'll be fine. And so I sat there and the first thing I did was look at him. And I said, "Bub," and all this, uh, I introduced myself and told him we were going to be close. And we'd have a special relationship. But I said, has anybody told you about Jesus? Mm. And, and I got to be the first person to tell my grandson about Jesus. I told him not only who Jesus was and what Jesus would do for him and could do and would do and wanted to do. Uh, But I told him my God story. I told him his Gigi's God story. I told him his mom and daddy's God story. Um, I remember when his brother was born, I told his brother about his brother's God story as well as ours. I told him what football team we yell for. And and all kind of pertinent information that he would need to know. Of course,
0: prioritized appropriately.
1: To live in Wiedemannville. And, uh, uh, you know, it was one of those things that, that uh, that telling that story has not stopped mm. and that talking about his story and how did that make you feel? And is that feeling a fruit of the spirit somewhere you have got to um, the proof in whether or not what you did is working is if you see the fruit of it, and then also see it being implemented into their life. So for me to see what God's doing in my grandkids' lives, uh, that's not just a desire of me and my wife. That's a desire of uh, my daughter and her husband, that they want more for their kids uh, in the area of spiritual things. And, um, you know, to walk that out and to have those God stories And, uh, you know, it's funny. The things I'm doing during the pandemic with my grandkids are the same things I did before the thing. And, um, you know, that conversation of what's God been saying? And then if he hadn't been saying anything, I know they hadn't been listening. So then we start talking about that. Um, And and so, you know, that uh, walking those things out should be just natural life.
0: What I hope people hear in this conversation around discipleship is um, that discipleship is not another program to add to your already overburdened plate, right? Because the things you're talking about, there's a simplicity and a power to what you're describing, um, including the ability to be transparent about your own story. I think a lot of parents, particularly of my generation, make the mistake of walling off harder parts of their story, but there's a simplicity in sharing a story. And I love that you said that when you are talking to your grandkids now, that it's not that different than when you are able to be in person. Because I think, again, you know, um, a lot of grandparents too may feel like, well, I can't do all of the things I normally do with them. And it's a, it's a refreshing reminder of while everything feels like it's changed, there are things that haven't.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and the crazy thing is because you know my oldest grandson is nine now, which is hard to believe. Uh, <laughs> but man, I can get him on his iPad now more than ever. He answers FaceTime messages more now because he's on an iPad more than he was before all this That's started. That's so interesting. And so, family ministry has to start at home. And I th- there it is. think that's that's the problem that we wanted it to start somewhere else. And I know, especially people in large churches, they say, "You know, I can't do what large churches do." Uh, yes, you can. You start with your family, Amen. and you model what a family who is putting res- raising resilient disciples at the forefront looks like and then have those conversations with other parents and ask them to join in and make those commitments. And I think that, that what we have to do um, in this time of parents, uh, uh, rather than talk to them about what and how, I think that this is a great time to help them to listen to the why. Mm. Why does this matter so much? This moment that we're
0: in, like you said, is an opportunity for a reset. Someone who is hearing this conversation and recognizing the urgency and is going, okay, great. Tell me what to do. Like game on. As soon as the pandemic's over, we're ready. They're ready to go. And I would love to hear you speak to that crowd. How does that person get started? what I would want to avoid is that people hear this and go, that is awesome. I can't wait to hear Jim and another podcast talk about how important it is.
1: I think the first thing is to begin the conversations with key influencers within their own organization. Uh, that could be one other person. That could be 12 other people. And when the first, when this all started, the first thing I did is get every children's worker I had, um, on telegram Uh, you know they can use um, slack and all kind of you know group me whatever your favorite thing Um, we at the church use telegram so i got them all there Uh, i got everybody on one but i got those key people first and we started just sharing and getting those conversations with others uh, that i knew that were already on board with children's ministry but let's Talk out this philosophy and why it's important. And so then when we roll it out to the bigger children's ministry folks, um, um, when they had questions or went to uh, these people, they knew what was going on. But the main thing we need to, to this uh, whole idea of making disciples is the most important thing of our church. Yeah. And it happens at every age group. It happens at everything we want to help. Whatever age group we're working with to be a part of of being discipled as well as making other disciples. The main thing is just get the conversation started. And then always look for, um, you know, what do I need Uh, what can be easily corrected, not changed, not done away with. That's great. Because killing a program uh, is hard work and you have to do it at the right time. Um, But it's one of those things that what can I just tweak and make better? Mm -hmm. What do we just need to stop? Because that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in this relaunch, uh, everything that I'm seeing across the nation uh, in this first phase of coming back, back, children's ministry is really not allowed because of social distancing. So sure. uh, So, uh, it's off the table. You know, we talk about reset. Um, uh, our reset is... How do you continue ministering to kids online in a more effective way? Because there's going to be some people that bring their kids with them, uh, and they sit in an overflow room. There's others that just aren't going to come to children's ministries back. But the main thing is, is just don't start back uh, doing what you've always done because you could. This is something I told my teenage children: just because you can. Does't mean that you should? There it is. And uh, there's a lot of that um, in this reset. Uh, there's a lot of things we can do, but what should we be doing? Yeah and and that having those conversations with parents, uh, setting up some zoom calls, uh, do it you know, just encourage parents to buy the book, Read it, and let's do uh, an a book club yep. about raising resilient disciples uh, what and let's see with if this is true and we believe it is, then what does our new normal need to look like at home at church and in the events that we plan? what is the outcome that we're shooting for? and um uh, encourage you know right now if you're gonna if you're gonna help people walk out of philosophy, we're in the very first stage of why does there need to be a new philosophy, and why are we choosing this one
0: yeah and I think. I love that, you know, so much of what you said have started in the home, because I think it becomes easy to to forget to get your own house in order before you do these things. Um, I feel like there's sort of two groups of people in the context of children's ministry where people who are drawn to it, who God like laid a vision in their heart, you know, and this is what they're doing. They're advocates for kids and they will be their entire lives sort of like yours. And then there's people who somebody said, hey, you're good with kids. Could you take care of them on Sunday? Kind of what your pastor thought he was giving to you all those years ago. But to that second group, the mission is still critically important. And God has still put them in there in this moment for such a time as this. So for the person who is feeling overburdened, overworked, and probably underappreciated, especially during a time like this, um, we can talk all day about how we value them. But how do they begin to understand the value that they have in God? You were talking about identity, the identity they have, um, and how important God sees us, but also how do they begin to change trajectory that they're on to go away from burnout in this reset and go to a place of genuine child discipleship and ultimately revival in their local context.
1: Yeah. No, nobody starts out burning out. Um, Burnout is a process and it's a result of being overwhelmed for long periods of time. So, what is overwhelmed? Uh, Losing the ability to take something big and break it into smaller, manageable pieces. So, if you lost your glasses and you were looking for them, um, if you lose something to retrieve it, you just follow your steps backwards and go back to the last place you knew you had it. Mm. And for me, um, we're talking about the parable of the sower. Uh, seed fell on different kinds of soil. Yeah. So in this reset, if we find ourselves a dry soil, first thing I need to do is look for a place of water. If it's stony soil, I need to get a friend or someone to help me. Where can I remove the rocks? It's hard to tell people who are already overwhelmed that they're going to have some soil prep
0: uh,
1: to do, Uh, but that's exactly what they have to do. And that's where um, when you're in over your head, that's where you go to a pastor, a leader, a friend, uh, a connect group or life group leader and say, Will you help me work this soul in this time? If you're overwhelmed and you're burnout, stop being alone. There it and is. There, that's that's the key. And where do you need help? Admit you need help, and and do what needs to happen in that area, so that you can get a right start.
0: The Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace for making the podcast happen. And thank you for listening. I'll talk to you on Thursday.